Hey, if you're listening to this, thanks for stopping by. My name is Jared, and I run the More Than Blockchain podcast. Now, before the podcast rebranded its name to More Than Blockchain, it was entitled Wi-Fi and Water. And so this episode was originally recorded under the podcast's original name. Episodes 1 through 13 were recorded under the name Wi-Fi and Water. And so if you're hearing this, that's why. Please enjoy the episode, and thanks for checking out the More Than Blockchain podcast. In 1993, Wu-Tang Clan, a hip-hop rap group out of New York, dropped an album, and on it it had a song called Cream, or C-R-E-A-M. In 94, they would release it as a single with C-R-E-A-M, followed by parentheses, Cash Rules Everything Around Me. To this day, this is one of the most iconic hip-hop songs and beats. But in the future, will that C change from cash to maybe cryptocurrency? We're not really sure. But today's guest and I do believe that there will be a big space for cryptocurrency in the future. John Grinnell has been around cryptocurrency for about seven years. And in cryptocurrency language, that's OG or original gangster. I'm Jared Carpenter, and this is Wi-Fi and Water. John, welcome to Wi-Fi and Water. How are you doing? I'm doing doing really good today, Jared. I'm really excited to talk some crypto. Thanks for having me on. Let's talk some crypto. I'm Let's do it, dude. <laughs> you know, I brought up crypto on episode 33. That was the first time I actually brought it into the podcast. And for I've sure. been meaning to talk about it for a while, but I really wanted to stay away from this is crypto. Satoshi Nakamoto, 2009. This, that, and the other, blockchain. So, and I didn't really know how to approach it. So I'm so glad that you're here because we're just going to talk some crypto. So why don't you start telling telling me your journey with crypto? So my journey kind of began when my wife got a job at Coinbase in 2014. And for those who are unfamiliar with Coinbase, it's a cryptocurrency exchange. They make things very easy to go and purchase Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies if you want to just experiment with investing in crypto. So she joined Coinbase in about 2014. And ever since then, I've literally, as some others in crypto have, just fallen down the rabbit hole. So I'm on Reddit. I'm on Twitter. I'm in conversations with some of these early employees at Coinbase and saying, what the heck is this stuff? Like a new money? How does this have value? Who's going to get into this? You know? And I think for me, the, the key kind of engagement factor that got me really into it was actually investing in it a little bit. So buying some Bitcoin, buying some Ethereum, some of these other cryptos. And ever since then, I mean, it's just been... She was there for about five years at Coinbase. She left in 2019. But I think that, you know, it's just been such a important part of my life. And I've gone and attended some hackathons. I've learned how to be a software engineer. Like yesterday, I created, to, for, to get skip ahead 10 steps, I created an NFT on OpenSea, like all kinds of stuff, dude. So, I mean, I've just really been into it for a while now. And 
to answer the question, journey really started when my wife joined Coinbase and she was asking the same questions like, what is all this? So yeah, it's just been part of our family, really. It's so cool to hear you say that your wife joined Coinbase in 2014, because one of the things with these podcasts, they're kind of moments in time. They're just audio clips that are just going to live out there forever. And if somebody stumbles onto this podcast in 10 years, so we're in 2031 and they hear a guy say, my wife started working at Coinbase in 2014. That is going to be the most OG shit ever. (laughs) Like it's like, yeah, it's like saying, you know, I ran into Jeff Bezos in 2001 and I loved what he was doing and I quit my job and I decided to work at Amazon. I think it will be on that level by the time we get to 10 years based on what I think Coinbase is going to continue to do for retail investors and obviously bigger money, smarter money, bigger money. Thinking about crypto now, did you think it was going to get where it is today when your wife said, hey, you know, I'm going to start working at this place called Coinbase in 2014? Or is it, because for me, what I'm, the story in my head is like, we are just, it's parabolic, the growth, the acceptance, the adoption of yep. conversations. Do you pinch yourself now thinking about crypto? I do. And I think that that way you framed it up that, yeah, it is like looking at 10 years from now and kind of hearing this story. It, I do believe that it will be one of those crazy things where you look back and you're like, dude, that was like the Coinbase mafia, man. That was like the OG days when no one knew what was happening. It's like in, in 1999 when no one knew that Google would take off and they're just indexing the web. It's like, I do feel that way for crypto because it's not just a new technology. It's just a paradigm shift in what we think about money. And when I initially got into it in 2014, I was thinking, this is like a cool technology, but I was, I had a healthy amount of skepticism. And I think that's completely normal for, especially for people who just hear about it. And that skepticism eventually turns into kind of like a viral thing in your head. Cause you're like, oh my God, there's like this other form of money. There is this plan B, they call it, where you can dance around and go around the entire governmental, you know, monetary system and say, well, we're just going to create a crypto. We're just going to create, you know, a currency based on purely on math and computer science. You can't stop it. And it's just going to keep going up in value and it's programmed to decrease its supply every four years. So it's just like, it's just like you, you hear about these things and you're like, for me at the time, it was very, very skeptical. But then over time, the more you learn, the more you kind of get into it. That was kind of my story. I think one of the things with crypto that creates a huge barrier for people is obviously the skepticism or, and I'm going to throw this out for anyone who's trying to learn about crypto. We would call it FUD, which is fear, uncertainty, Mm -hmm. and doubt. There's always FUD narratives that are out there on the web and they're super easy to find. Just type in, is Bitcoin a scam into Google? And I guarantee, or YouTube, you will be lost in a different rabbit hole. There's all these different rabbit holes, which will kind of siphon and push you into different narratives. And it's still interesting to me, and we briefly talked about this before we pressed record, that 99%, and I I would say it's probably now like 98%, only in the last three months as we've seen the overall market cap go from 1 trillion to now it's almost 2.5 trillion. 98% of the people on the planet still hold a healthy skepticism. And if if they aren't skeptics, that's fine, but they still haven't put their money where their beliefs are, which is 
buying Bitcoin, buying Ethereum, buying any one of the thousands of coins that are out there. And thinking now about crypto, you just <laughs> created your first NFT, maybe. Was it your first NFT on OpenSea? Yeah, it was my first one. I created a collection. I went to the San Francisco Zoo, took a picture of a gorilla, created an NFT out of the picture. It's pretty funny, but yeah. <laughs> How much is it on, on OpenSea? How much is it? Uh, you know what, dude? <laughs> Dude, the gas pre- the gas prices were so high that I was like, "There's no way." And it was of course the day that ETH hit an all time high. So like, eh, I'm just gonna list it as an NFT. I'll I'll, I'll kind of mint the NFT and then I'll wait till gas prices go down to sell it. I run a soccer podcast as well, and we're actually working on our own collection of NFTs, which will be like nice. soccer related. And this is actually the first time putting that out in the public. We're gonna really we're gonna release that this summer on OpenSea, and we've been working with a designer to kind of make sure it's animated, and we're getting our products right. But I think the really fun thing about NFTs are two things. One, they're seemingly bringing more people into the space because over the last two or three months, more people have reached out to me in the last two or three months than have ever reached out to me since I got into crypto, which is in 2017, asking not about how do I invest to potentially make some money, but how do I buy an NFT? And when I think about NFTs, as you know, the smart contracts, all of that, What's something that someone who's listening maybe should think about NFTs in in a different way? Because right now it's like people saw that Beeple sold that piece of artwork at Christie's, I think for like $66 million. And that's where they think it is. It's going to be for collectibles. It's going to be, you know, John's an artist. He does a canvas painting and then he takes a picture or he goes to the zoo and takes a picture and then puts it up online and you could buy it and you could give Mm -hmm. that value. Where do you think NFTs and that idea of non-fungible tokens could go? Or will it go away from art? And if it will, how soon do you think that will happen? Good question. It's so hard to predict what might happen with crypto. But with NFTs, it's kind of enabling this creator economy where the use cases go beyond what we've seen, I think, before and in terms of ownership. I, the way I kind of think of NFTs is it's like adding like an autograph to something to really anything of of like in a digital nature that you can pass around and send online i've heard people i've heard people in the crypto community say like nfts will eventually like embed themselves in like social networks and you know you have like every picture that you post online and in Twitter, every tweet, you saw Jack Dorsey try to sell his original tweet from Twitter. Like, who would have thought that an NFT could be that? This guy, Fred Ursham, the co-founder of Coinbase, just wrote an article on like Mirror, or I think he sold it on Zora as an NFT and said, this is like the first article like um, that is ever going to be posted as an NFT. So whatever you create online, you have a way to track it back to you and make money off of it and monetize it. And I think that like where this might go, I think like what's gonna happen in my opinion, it's gonna, it's gonna be that catalyst that takes Web3 into the frontier. I think NFTs are that Web3 kind of gasoline that just lights it up because the world in my mind, is moving towards a decentralized, more open internet built on blockchains and crypto. And I think that NFTs 
unlike ICOs are like a little bit easier for like everyone to get involved in. And I think the barrier to entry there is a little bit lower, but if I had to predict what, what might happen, I'm, I'm not sure because it's crypto, <laughs> but I know like if, if blockchains are and web three is that kind of embodiment of like the internet of value you've probably heard. I think that NFTs will really help bring about that internet of value kind of future that a lot of people in crypto think might happen. You brought up ICOs and I just, for people listening who maybe don't know what that is, ICO is initial coin offering, which is essentially analogous to what the stock market would have with an IPO or initial public offering, which was a way, and there was a huge boom of these back in 2017, 2018 of companies basically creating, putting an idea out, putting a project out, creating a token or a coin, and then saying, go buy it. And that was their initial coin offering. And I too found that to be rather abstract and I couldn't really wrap my mind around it and also didn't really see the trust and the value in it. However, with the NFTs, I think it's going to revolutionize everything. You and I grew up at a time where we saw the music industry just get kicked in the face by Napster. All of a sudden Napster's like, no, 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 it should be free. And that changed Mm -hmm. the thing. And then iTunes came out and that got a little bit better. And then they were able to, you know, Apple was able to essentially get some money from the creators but NFTs completely remove third-party vendors like Spotify, Apple. Yep. Uh, what's the one title that Jay-Z has? Yep. And it basically says, okay, I play the guitar and I'm going to sell my music and you can just go buy it as an NFT. You can, we can, I can make each soundtrack, I can make each musical track into something digital that you can go buy. And I get 100% of the value. And I think the cool thing with the NFTs, just to explain to other people, maybe who don't know, what, you know how they work, if you sell your gorilla picture, let's say your, your gorilla NFT, I should say, it's not just a picture. If you sell your gorilla <laughs> NFT for one Ethereum, one yep. Ethereum goes right now, let's call it $3,500. You would mm-hmm. get $3,500. So I buy your gorilla NFT. Then yep. I take it and I sell it for $5,000. Mm-hmm. So I would get $1,500 of potential profit there. 5,000 mm-hmm. minus 3,500. However, you've put in your NFT that you get 10% of all future sales. So you would get $500 or $500 of $500 in Ethereum would keep and continue to kick back to you, which I think as a creator and someone who, you know, maybe one day I'll make the podcast just solely into an NFT. And if you want to hear my episodes, you have to pay, I don't know, a dollar in Ethereum or whatever, whatever it will be. And I think that's the other fun thing that there's multiple cryptocurrencies that have NFT networks. It's not just Ethereum. So shifting a little bit, and I want to go back to FUD because I think that that's really where like the whole rabbit hole thing starts. And that's really where I know I've had conversations with friends and basically trying to say, hey, I think you should really look at this. This is something that's brought me tremendous value. And as a close friend, I want to share that with you because I think it's going to help you out. How have your conversations changed with talking with friends and family maybe about cryptocurrency and investing over the last, you know, seven years, because we're now 2014 to 2021, how have they changed and where are they now? I think when I brought up 20, when in 2014, I was at my buddy's bachelor party, believe it or not, in Reno, Nevada. And the whole car ride, I was talking about Bitcoin. I was like, dudes, you got to get this. And everyone told me to shut up. Everyone was (laughs) like, dude, what the, what the heck are you talking about? Dude, you are killing the vibe. Killing the I vibe. Was, 
I was just a total wet blanket on everybody's <laughs> mood. We're here for a bachelor party. Um, anyway. And I still have the same friends and it's pretty funny. I was at a little backyard barbecue recently and this, my buddy Jack is asking me about NBA top shot. And I'm like, Oh, so you're keen on like, you know, what's up with NFT and you're like, you're familiar with the fact that NBA top shot is, you know, kind of this um, selling clips and kind of like kind of basketball cards, et cetera. So if that's kind of an kind of an example of where their evolution is um, and kind of how those conversations have evolved, you know, I, I would say I would say it's safe to say that their minds have changed on it. And I mean, no one has to believe me. That's the beauty. When when everyone talks about crypto, it's like, yes, you you absolutely like early days. I think for me, I was like really trying to evangelize it saying like, oh, you got to get into this, man. Like, this is, this is going to be so big. This is so interesting. And now it's like, it's kind of like mainstream a little bit, right? It's like kind of at least relative to what it was, right? It's like, there's a lot of companies investing, Tesla putting in billions of dollars into it, you know, MicroStrategy, all these companies that are getting into it, Twitter or Square rather. It's, it's at a point now where it's reached kind of that, okay, this is a legit thing that's not going to go away. And I think my friends have, have recognized that, especially when they look at the price. So <laughs> it's just, which is obviously a very powerful thing, but it's still early days at the same time. So that's what I always tell them. If, if you're listening to this and you're new to crypto, I mean, there's so much opportunity. Like no one knew what an NFT was like, what, five years ago, six years ago. No one even knew what Ethereum was like seven years ago. So and now we're talking about like it revolutioning, revolutionizing the entire internet <laughs> and abstracting away Spotify and these third party like platforms could potentially do the same for like Airbnb and Uber. And like, I agree with you. I think that's one of the beautiful things about NFTs that it's peer to peer, just like Bitcoin is. It's you, you sell something directly online without a market, without a platform in the middle. And, and that's one of the most interesting things for me when I talking to people now about it, because I think a lot of it is before you can have adoption of anything or taking on a new idea, you have to understand it or it has to be tangible or palpable yeah. in some way. And the way I talk to people now, I'm like, well, first of all, this is the comment that uh, somebody made to me uh, and now she's, you know, she's investing monthly, just dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin, which is yep. beautiful. So I'll give Abra mm -hmm. a shout out. Abra said, you know, Abra actually did Peace Corps with Dan and I. Abra cool. said, you know, if it was just called digital money, everyone would own it. But because it's called cryptocurrency, it's like very off-putting for many people. And mm -hmm. we already live in a world where we use digital money. If you and I go out to eat and you forget everything you have and you don't have Apple Pay on your phone, I'm going to pay. And then I'm going to say, you know what, John, like hit me up, give me 25 for dinner and, and, and the drinks. And how are you going to mm -hmm. pay me? Well, you and I could use cryptocurrency if that's what we want to do, which is cool. But we also could use Venmo like 99% of the other people do in the United States when they want to share value with somebody because they're buying something off Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, they had a dinner with, they yeah. bought the Christmas tree together and they want to share it because they're roommates. Venmo, instead of having Venmo, which then goes through Venmo, which then goes to your mm -hmm. bank and then you take it out. Mm -hmm we're already there. And I think that that is, that is the chip that is changing in people's brains as they're starting yeah. to see, wait, I don't have to deal with bank of America. I don't have to deal with Wells Fargo. And I call those two banks up because today in the last 24 hours, 
Ethereum's total market cap is bigger than both those banks put together. So yeah. there is something out there that is monetary energy that is bigger than Wells Fargo and Bank of America. <laughs> and if you're listening to this and you have Wells Fargo and Bank of America, but you don't have Ethereum, maybe consider thinking about that. And what you said too is so, it's always in the forefront of my mind. Yeah. And this is when I talk to people, I'm like, we're still in like the late 90s of the internet. We don't oh. even know where this thing is going to go. So investing now and holding for, I'd yep. say, 10 years, it could be like investing in Amazon in 1998, 1999. Just looking at it, saying, you know what? Other people are doing, smart money is doing, is going this way. And so could you talk a little bit about, you said you called it Web 3.0. Could you talk yeah. about Web 2.0, what that is, and then how that will help us to maybe understand and kind of assimilate more easily into what Web 3.0 is? Yeah, without a doubt. And before I get to that web 2.0, 3.0, I, I want to make a, a comment about using Venmo. I think it's also true that in the United States, that may be true that it's easy for us because we have bank accounts. And if you have Venmo, you have a bank. But I, I think like educating yourself and even Googling like percent of world with a bank account and percent of world without a bank account. And I'm sure there's a ton of sources on it. But from what I remember, it's not that everyone in the, in the world has a bank account. There's a vast majority of people who don't have bank accounts, either for one reason or another. So while, yes, it's true, we can use digital money today, you may live in a country where that's not true. You don't have digital money. You don't have a currency. Even if you did have digital money you, or a bank, you wouldn't have a currency that is stable enough to send money. Um, so just want to point that out because um, I think that's like a really cool thing I love about crypto too is it's enabling that, right? It's kind of a digital money for anybody. You don't need any bank account. You can live anywhere. But transitioning that over um, into Web 2.0 and like how I think about that and what Web 3.0 is, I think it's just really interesting. And the way I think about like Web 3.0 is it's really, like I mentioned earlier, kind of the internet of value. And if Web 2.0 is taking information and putting it online, right? Like a newspaper, it's online. Education, online. I think Web 3.0 is really the embodiment or kind of that representation of taking value all online. So when you hear people talk about Ethereum, some people really deep in crypto will say like, everything in the world is going to be tokenized, right? <laughs> like tokenization of the world tokens are going to take over everything and i'm not sure i'm not certain that's going to play out but what is what is certain is in my mind is the web is getting more complicated it's like an organism and it's growing and growing and growing and it's still i think the most important technology in, in of all time of our generation for sure and I think it needs to evolve into a world, into almost, yeah, a digital world where value flows more securely, easier, peer to peer. I think that was the original promise of the internet with like web 1.0 even, when everything was just, it was really based on academia, right? It was like Stanford and, and like MIT sharing just data back and forth. And originally the internet was, I think um, DARPA created it for, for military purposes. And it's just going to be, I think, just really interesting because 
we've seen what's been going on with like Facebook and their hacks. And we've seen that the internet is becoming kind of like a volatile place. And there's a ton of bank hacks too, like people's data is getting out there. So I think like what's going to happen is so much is going to be built on blockchains and these blockchains are going to enable the internet of value where value flows very, very freely. You can send an email to your buddy, have some crypto on there, some, some money on it. That's not running on uh, third parties. So my thinking on that's kind of evolving, but I think that's where, what might be happening with web three. I think you're hitting the nail on the head with web 3.0. And I do want to also go back to what you said about essentially the unbanked. That is a huge conversation that happens a lot in crypto. And I think that's really exciting for, you know, you and I know each other because your brother and I served together in Peace Corps in Guatemala. And in Guatemala, there are a lot of people that are unbanked. And especially amongst the indigenous populations that are in the rural areas, one of it, yeah. they, it's, it's accessibility. They just don't live potentially close to where a bank is. The other thing is they just don't trust outsiders because outsiders throughout their entire history have just hurt mm-hmm. them, taken advantage of them. And so if they're talking about their money, which is everyone's very, you know, everyone in the world is very much like my money, my choices, I'm going to make my decisions. So talking about the unbanked is a fascinating thing. And one of the reasons why I think crypto is going to only continue to have more mass adoption is directly tied to climate change. Because Mm -hmm. the UN says, hey, look, 50 million people per year are going to be uprooted every year into the future. 50 Mm -hmm. million due to climate change events. This could be a tsunami. This could be drought. This could be a lack of water. This could be war that breaks out due to a lack of water, a drought, or a natural disaster, what have you. And when you have to move and uproot, you don't know if your currency, your current, your, your, your country's currency may not be there. It may inflate yeah. to a point like we've seen with Zimbabwe, with Venezuela, with Argentina. I studied abroad in Argentina in 2008. And when I was there, it was $1 to three pesos. And I lived like yeah. a king in Buenos Aires, which is, if you've never been there, please travel there. It's a wonderful place. Now it's $1 to 150 Argentine pesos. So people there are going crazy right now for Bitcoin to store their value in a place that is outside of the Argentine peso, outside of the currency. And I saw the other day on Mercado Libre, which is kind of like a, it's like a Redfin meets Craigslist where you can essentially go and buy homes or whatever. And Mm -hmm. Mercado Libre is starting to, they're going to start using Bitcoin and Ethereum, especially in Argentina to allow people to buy homes. So get outside of the Argentine peso. So totally the unbanked, I think, you know, moving forward and remittances, that was a huge thing that affected Dan and I's experience there. Yeah. And so like when I think about XLM, Stellar, I love what they're doing because they're basically saying, let's get it out of Western Union. If you want to send $200 from the United States down to Guatemala City, you shouldn't be paying $20 in fees. You shouldn't lose mm-hmm. 10% basically to a boogeyman. Let's make it yeah. peer to peer. So I wanted to talk about that because I think that's a really important part of crypto that's going to continue to allow the unbanked, which is millions of people, a way to store and hold value, which they really didn't have before 2009, not in a secure way, other than maybe somehow buying dollars, right? And then you're carrying around dollars. So thinking about Web 3.0, I think you're totally right. I think it's the internet of value is so exciting because most times we spend time on the internet. We're on the internet Mm -hmm. now. We're actually talking through Zoom. But, you know, I'm on Facebook or I'm on Instagram or I'm on LinkedIn and these things make money off me being there. And I think in the future, you're going to get paid for your information. The longer you're on, you're going to get paid. Even if it's just 
10 cents per hour. I don't know what it's going to look like. You're going to say, oh, 10 cents per hour is nothing. But right now you're getting paid nothing. So yeah. 10 cents is a little bit more than that. And I think with these decentralization, these decentralized social applications, which will come out, it's going to be really exciting. Because right now, I don't think there's many people who are listening to this podcast and maybe you who really feel like these things like Facebook have your best, you know, have your best interests at heart. Because at the end of the day, you're just one in two and a half billion or however many people are on Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, which they now, you know, can kind of control. And I'm really interested to see what the metaverse looks like, because I don't fully understand it. But when I listen to Raul Paul talk about it, he's basically like, right now, what you do is you want to buy a dress and you go online and you buy a dress and it Mm -hmm. ships to your house. You try it on. It doesn't fit. You get free returns. You send it back. He's like, in the future, you're going to have an avatar that's going to walk around the metaverse and you're going to play it like a video game. You're going to go into a store and you're going to try on a medium on your avatar because it's fit just like you. And you're going to say, you know what? The medium doesn't fit. I need a large. And then you're going to try the large on. And then when that fits, you're going to buy it right there and it's going to ship out to you. And it's going to be all tracked on the blockchain, like through something like VeChain, which is value chain. So if you need Uh to do a return, you just show them, hey, this is where I am in the code. And it all figures back out and instantaneously you have your return. You're not dealing with customer service. There's nothing like that. That is where I think potentially things could go. And now that the pandemic has sped up everyone buying things online. I don't know. I don't know how close we are. And thinking about cryptocurrency, could you, and you don't have to, you don't have to, I'll share too, to, if that makes easier, could you talk about what your portfolio looks like in percentages where you've decided to invest your your money. I'm about 60-35 Bitcoin ETH. And I have some additional investments in a couple altcoins, we'll we'll call them, but they are built on ETH. I have to admit, back in the day, I invested in XRP, sold all of it. I I, When did you sell? When did you sell? uh, I actually sold that not, it was, I think it was like last year as before the whole like SEC lawsuit came out, but it was just kind of like fun investment money. It's like, okay, what might this do? But no, it's mostly, it's, it's about, it's mostly Bitcoin, ETH and some ERC twenties. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I had XRP too. I was like, <laughs> you, I was XRP evangelist. I even, you? I, yeah. And I even XRP bull XR. Oh, the bullish dude, the, the most bullish. I actually won. They had, they like gave out 20 of these t-shirts from XRP and I like stayed up all night and I was like, whatever, enter the, enter the, whatever it was. I had to put in whatever, I think it was on Twitter. Maybe. I I don't know. I don't exactly remember what it was. And so I have an XRP t-shirt, which is wrapped in plastic and I still haven't opened it. It's like a beanie baby, you know, like maybe one day it'll be worth something. Yeah. So I used to be big in XRP. Yeah. Right now I am 35% VeChain, 40% Ethereum. And then the other 25%, about 5 to 10% Bitcoin. And mm. the other bit is broken up. And I even have Doge, which if you have Doge these days, there you go. you're basically you're ready. Well. Yeah, you're basically ready to buy a mansion. Doge in it. Thanks Doge to Elon Musk, right? Just, Exa- exactly. Just pumping it. Well, he's supposed I to be that. on uh, Saturday Night Live this Saturday. Yeah. So I think everyone's like thinking he's just going to be like, buy Doge. <laughs> <laughs> he's a absolute character that guy and it did though dude it like actually i think it actually did pump the price of doge just his pumping and his tweets which is insane but 
that's interesting. I'm curious, what do you see in VeChain? What's kind of interesting to you there? So there's a couple of things with VeChain. One, the mo- probably the most significant, the reason why I know about VeChain, and I also have Engine too, which is great. And yeah. actually, I'll, I want to I want to answer your VeChain question by by talking about Engine really quick. So sure. both of these coins were, I learned about them through my friend Jason, mm-hmm. and this was 2017 when I first got in. He was really saying, you know, really focus on the project. Don't chase price. Chasing price is cool, but focus on the project. And I know nothing about video games, zero things. I didn't grow up with them. My parents wouldn't let me have a console. I think that was all for the better. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe I would have been a professional video gamer making, you know, $3 million purses these days. But he said, Engine is basically, they were doing NFTs. They were selling skins essentially and swords and all these specialty things. So I got into Engine. And he also said, hey, you know what? Check out VeChain. And at this time, he wasn't working for VeChain. He now works for VeChain which is another reason why I'm definitely following more and staying with it. Cause we'll have conversations and, you know, he could totally let me know things that he knows, but he doesn't, he just says, you know, stay close to the fire. We got big stuff coming. And what I like about V chain is the world is moving towards a total, total decentralization. And we're going to need ways. Amazon's going to continue to grow things that are sold online are going to continue to grow. And we need ways to be able to track the value slash supply chains of the world. And that is all V chains trying to do. And they already have what I would say impressive partnerships and their partnership in the last two weeks with Salesforce, which is the world's biggest CRM. I was like, yeah, they're going to continue to move forward. And I've also Mm -hmm. seen the price grow and I think it will just continue to grow. And most importantly, they don't really have a lot in the top 50. They don't really have, at least that I know of, but that could change because crypto changes every five seconds. They don't really have a lot of competition. No one else is really trying Mm -hmm. to get into that space. And their market cap is already pretty, you know, they're the bullies in the block. Whereas when we think about smart contracts, there are a bunch of different things basically jockeying for position from what I can see to say, hey, if Ethereum doesn't work out, if Ethereum 2.0 somehow falls flat, you've got Cardano, Dot, Solana's getting in there. So I think that's why. And I've, you know, this year I've seen, I've had really good price action and, and I continue, I I hope to continue to see it grow. And when you think about decentralized finance, does that play a role in why you hold Ethereum? I think so. I think that DeFi and I think it was like before it was called DeFi, it was like open finance, right? It was like this cool (laughs) open, like there's so many terms. It's just funny. You got to like reflect on these terminologies. I heard TradFi is like the opposite of DeFi, (laughs) like traditional finance, like Dude, this crypto terminology is like mind numbing, but it's super funny. I just think that it just has so much potential. And when you look at the number of developers building on it, and when you look at the the growth in wallets, and you look at the story of Ethereum, who created it, and the number of, honestly, like the number of people investing in it across crypto, that's what kind of interests me about it. That's why I'm such a big bull on ETH. And I think that it does, the DeFi stuff does play a role in kind of my evangelism for ETH because I think for me, it's like, it gets back into the story of like, the story of Bitcoin a little bit, right? It's like, be your own bank, have your own money. Don't, you don't need to go through a third party. You don't need a bank. And open finance or DeFi is kind of like smarter money. What Bitcoin couldn't do, if if Bitcoin is just sending from A to B, 
Ethereum just has so much firepower in it. You were talking earlier about NFTs baking in like a, a 10% royalty in every sale, right? It's like with ETH and DeFi, it's like you can have those super, really just programmable rules set in place that, yeah, you can absolutely create like yield farming and interest rates and <laughs> like all of this amazing stuff just with code, right? And yes, there are other blockchains out there. Yes. There's Cardano, there's, like you said, you know, like, what's the other one? Polkadot and all these other ones. But I've been following ETH for so long that, like, I just want to stick in it and I'm rooting for it. And I look at the developers and I look at the community around it and I'm like, dude, this is amazing. And I don't know. I I don't know, like, if you've seen other crypto, like, blockchains, you like, OpenSea, Zora, like all these NFT marketplaces, are they using like any other blockchain or ER, are they using any other like technical standard for an NFT other than like ERC, whatever it is, like 15 something? Not that I know of right now, but I do yeah. know that Cardano rumored, I think Charlie came out, I believe he was saying that they're trying to get something going by this summer. Okay. Everyone's seen now the power of NFTs. And I think everyone's trying to figure out now how they can use smart contracts and, you know, do the whole thing, right? Because they see the yeah. value in it and how it can totally launch. I mean, Engine went from like under a dollar to almost $4 in about three or four days, about a month mm -hmm. ago, strictly just because it was added on. And I'm blanking, unfortunately, I'm blanking on the name, sure. but you were able to, it was a video game. Basically, it was going to start handling the in-item accessories that you could buy, right? It was going to be yeah. the go-to for this game. And I'm blanking on the video game name, very popular for video game. So it just needed that, you know, exactly. The more platforms these things can get on, the better. So I do think that Cardano is definitely trying to get its own NFT situation going. And yeah. I, I think that's great. I really think that's for great sure. because you need an eBay, you need a Craigslist, you need a yeah. Facebook marketplace, you need a buy up, you need a trade, like all these different places and they're all going to have their own thing. I'm thinking for Ethereum and we're going to talk some prices now because that's always exciting. Let's get in. If Ethereum cracks 10K, that would be like jumping up Savage. and down, right? Savage. Of course. But like I hear other people in the space talk and they're throwing mm -hmm. out these crazy numbers. Now, obviously, it all has to do with how much Bitcoin can bring us up. And then when alt season happens and that kind of falls down, how that money trickles. Now, I've heard recently people be like, you know what? Maybe it goes to 25,000 just because they're looking at the wallet adoptions that you talked about. And yeah. they're in the same, you know, they're, they're following Bitcoin. If not, they're actually about three or four years ahead of where Bitcoin was in yeah. the wallet creations. So where do you see Ethereum going at by the end of this year and then by 2025? Yeah. That's a big question. That's a big question. No, that's a, that's a great question. I want to, I, I actually wanted to ask you, like af after I mentioned kind of my response, I'd be curious to kind of pick your brains. I know Dan mentioned you might be getting into ETH mining. So I thought that was pretty cool. Right. So I think that Ethereum has to scale. I mean, that's like, that's objective number one. And ETH2 phase zero is already in place. Validators are online. And we've started this transition to proof of stake. And when you said, when you actually look at that, it's just like 
you look at the market cap of ETH, I don't even know what it is right now, but these developers are literally just swapping out the entire consensus mechanism on a multi-billion dollar ass like chain with like millions of wallets. And that's amazing to me in its own right, right? These developers just have the tenacity to do that. I think when Ethereum scales, once that layer two gets online, what I mean by layer two is essentially just adding that additional level of transactions per second and getting those numbers higher on Visa level. When Ethereum can do that, then I think it's going to become apparent when you look at the number of people using it, the price, the number of developers building on it, all the energy and all the investment around it. I think it's going to become clear that Ethereum is a serious contender right behind Bitcoin. I think like if Bitcoin is like the store of value hypothesis, right? It's like digital gold. I think Ethereum is is the best contender for this web three hypothesis where you have this internet of value. And with smart contracts, you can literally program anything. And because it's a blockchain and it's decentralized, it's not like you're building an app that's gonna be hosted on Facebook and then they go and change the rules on you as a, de- as a developer. It's like you can bring new developers into the ecosystem when a developer knows that what they're gonna build can legit scale and the price of ETH will go up. So they're gonna get rewarded off of that. I think you're gonna see, once it starts scaling, you're gonna see more developers, more investment. I think institutions are gonna be super involved in ETH once it starts scaling out, just like they are in Bitcoin right now. Cause they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess it's gone up to, you know, freaking 50,000. It's like, obviously dude, it's like it's, it started at 11 cents and now it's at $53,000 or whatever. I think it's a similar story with ETH. You know, I remember being in a bar with some of the Coinbase Mafia guys in like 2015. And I was like, dude, I don't know. I think Ethereum might might be on the outs. It was like when they for Coinbase just first posted it, right? And one of the guys who's an executive now, he was like, Yeah, it's only it's like seven dollars. I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy a bunch more right now. It's cheap. I was like, okay, I don't know. Um, but then I went and bought, I went home and bought some too, like secretly, like, yeah, all right, well, let's, let's take his advice. But <laughs> I think that by 2025, it's like end of this year, end of next year, next couple of years, ETH's going to scale out and start. We're just going to see all kinds of new, interesting stuff, probably beyond NFTs, probably just brand new stuff. And in 2025, I think it's just going to become kind of like a norm. Like crypto is just going to be actually mainstream i think more people are going to own it too because you said like 98 percent of the world doesn't even really or they're skeptical about it right so it's just going to further cement and legitimize crypto and it's with that said i would caveat i have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> so <laughs> but i i hope that happens i think your your phrasing of and this is i think the best way this is the way i explain it and and you know we're in the crypto space so our narratives are fairly similar because we're both bulls on crypto long-term. Bitcoin is digital gold. Okay. And the one I heard that I really like for Ethereum, and this is the way I kind of explain it to people, like Ethereum's the oil. Ethereum's going to grease the wheel of the future and allow it to basically move forward. Like we, like we can't even comprehend 
yeah. just the way the the combustion engine did for our world. We went from a horse and buggy, there was some steam, and then all of a sudden we had the combustion engine and we're flying. And that's how, yeah. I, feel, that's how I feel about ETH. And yeah, we are mining currently. I'm mining with my friend, Jeff. Shout out, Jeff. He is the technical advisor. I am not the guy. He can build computers. He said, yeah, we can do this. So that's we awesome. had to get... Yeah, we had to get video cards together, graphics cards together. And that was kind of crazy because if you are reading the news at all in the world, you don't have to be into video games, into cryptocurrency to know that there's a huge chip shortage. And in the United States, it's actually becoming more of a national security problem than I think maybe we want it to be. And we're going to start obviously making chips domestically. So we're not tied to production that is outside the United States, whatever. So in order to get some of these graphics cards, we had to do like really weird things. Jeff was like, yeah, we got to go down near Boston. We have to go to a police station. And we took a thousand bucks in cash and we went and bought a graphics card because there's none left. So what people are doing right now, they're going on eBay or they're using bots and they're buying a graphics card for $650. And then they're putting it up on Facebook marketplace for a thousand. And that's honestly, that's the market. So then we go and we buy these things and we've been mining ETH. And it's been very exciting to see the price obviously go up because then every day that this thing mines, and once again, we don't have to do anything. When I say we, I never have to do anything. So Jeff, thank you so much. But Jeff doesn't really, he monitors it. He looks at it every day and it's just a computer. For people who are trying to figure out what this looks like, you can easily go to Google and Google home cryptocurrency mining rig and something will come Mm -hmm. up. But essentially it just looks like a computer and we're printing digital money. We're printing future value that I think is almost invaluable because it's going to continue to appreciate, yeah. which is super exciting. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think about price for ETH and I also have zero idea. I have zero idea. It's just been, it's been exciting to have been in the space long enough to have seen ETH about $70, $80. Yeah. And now it's at 3,500. And just so we can frame this. So when people listen to this in 10 years, the Ethereum's mm. current market cap is 388 billion. That's it. Wow. Which is insane because we've seen it grow so much even in the last three months. And so as we wind this down, what is the one thing like that? What's the tweet you would say to someone who you run into and you haven't seen from high school and you're like, John, what are you into? You're like, oh, you're talking about stuff. You're like, hey, I hear you, know, John, I hear you're into cryptocurrency. What's the thing you say to maybe get that person off the bench and into crypto? I would say two words actually it's one word in a letter let's say plan <laughs> i would say plan b it's like that's the origin story for me of crypto right you look at satoshi nakamoto you look at the, the genesis block and what he wrote in there like chancellor on the on the verge of of bailout or banks on the verge i can't remember the text right now i'm kind of botching it but that is why crypto is here I think it's, and it's like, um, it's not just something that is something that came out out of nowhere. It's like that whole like cypherpunk movement and all of that work that went in to create a digital cash outside of the US dollar. And you look at how power works in this world and what kind of future we're going to be living in and what these younger generations of kids coming up, what, what they're interested in. I don't think they're going to be like super jacked up about a 401k in Vanguard, right? They're going to be on Robinhood and TikTok and new platforms like posting videos about cool stuff they're investing in. Hey, I got this new 
Fortnite skin. Check this out. And can I, can you share it with me? So I say plan B because we have the option to opt out of our financial situation, whoever and whoever you are. And I think plan B is also just kind of a cool way to like say, you know that you have an option, right? You know, you can dollar cost average. Bitcoin's not too expensive. Just go buy a little bit of Bitcoin, see what happens. That's, that's my tweet. I love it. That's the perfect way to end this. John, <laughs> thank you so much for hopping on and I uh, wish Dude. you well. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks, Jarrett. Thanks again for listening to this episode and be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Why Fine Water Podcast. Also, as a little behind the scenes, John and I have never met. We met through his brother, Dan, who was on episode 38 talking about household finances. Dan and I were in the Peace Corps together in Guatemala, and Dan said, hey, you should get my brother on here to talk about cryptocurrency. He knows what he's talking about. And Dan couldn't have been more right. So Dan, thank you so much. And John, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on. So John and I have never met, but in the crypto sphere, in the crypto world, when you meet someone who's into crypto, it's awesome. So Please go learn more. I hope that this got your feet a little bit wet into what crypto is. And if you have any interest in learning more, feel free to reach out. You can DM me at Wi-Fi and Water Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see everyone next time. Hey, it's Jared again. The episode you just listened to was originally recorded under the podcast's first name, Wi-Fi and Water. So please disregard those follow shoutouts and be sure to follow us on social media under our newly rebranded name, More Than Blockchain. And be sure to subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening to it. Thanks for checking out this episode and I'll see you next time.